Uh, we're still taking sign-ups for uh, four big areas of uh, our chapel worship uh, set up. The technical side, uh, greeters at the door, and uh, worship team. And uh, Darnish has just been auditioning like mad, and uh, we really are interested in anybody who wants to be a part of uh, this vital part of what we do here at Westmont. And uh, again, it is our priority and our desire that, uh, that Darnisha uh, equip us and you to lead uh, this community in worship. So we want you up here. We want you involved in leadership and set up and all the aspects of, uh, of worship here at Westmont College. Now, the theme for the year is God all in all. Uh, President Gady uh, picked up on the theme right away, and actually we didn't collaborate on that. He just... Uh, decided to do it, uh, and so his, his opening address is my next sermon, and uh, I hope to add some things to that, um, but it almost makes you believe there is a Holy Spirit who uh, makes, uh, makes people kind of get together and, and do things that they uh, hadn't uh, actually decided to do together. And I want to look at four aspects of that, and my, my first four messages are going to be four dimensions of God being God. Uh, the first this morning is His honor. The second will be his word, the third his people, and the fourth will be his story. And I want to unwrap those uh, in the next four times. I'll be speaking over the next two weeks, and then we'll just kind of work on it this year uh, as, as a community. But I want you to listen to uh, the word of God now. I'm going to recite a passage from the uh, tail end of chapter 11 of Romans and from the first two verses of chapter 12. And uh, you may not know this, but uh, the Bible did not come to us in chapters and verses. And sometimes you can uh, discover some remarkable things if you just kind of do away with the chapter part and the verses and just see what follows from one chapter to the next. And, and this is one of these great ones because the last two verses I'll quote are on a lot of people's memory verse list. And uh, they're often just sort of isolated and they're fine as they stand. But listen to this great celebration of the honor of God from Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through chapter 12, verse 2. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing and perfect will. And this is the Word of God. 
A few years ago, a truck driver in Maryland was arrested for being drunk and disorderly. While he was being handcuffed and put in the police car, a torrent of uh, profanity came out of his mouth. He verbally abused and cursed the officers all the way to jail. And the next morning, when he was taken before the court, he was still in that same mood, and he verbally abused and cussed at the judge. His honor did not like this. And to make matters worse, the absolute worst thing this judge could do to this man, according to the laws of the state of Maryland, was to fine him $100 and give him 30 days in jail for drunk and disorderly conduct. But the judge wanted more, so he went back to the law books. And he came across this hundred-year-old statute in the law books of the state of Maryland that prohibited public blasphemy. Now, it hadn't been used for years, but it hadn't been repealed either. So he charged this man with public blasphemy, and that carried with it also a $100 fine and another 30 days in jail. So this man got 60 days in jail and was fined $200, and Time magazine reported it. And you can guess in the spirit of uh, moral indignation. The editor was just outraged that this was cruel and unusual punishment that a person would, would be fined $200 and given 60 days in jail just for cussing. What do you think? Dr. R.C. Sproul was commenting on this. He said, in the Old Testament, the best lawyer in Israel couldn't get his client a $100 fine for public blasphemy. For in the Old Testament, to blaspheme was to be stoned to death. He said, the question we face is, what is worse? creating a public disturbance by getting drunk or publicly insulting the dignity of a holy God. Now, what do you think? In the Bible, the absolute worst crime you and I could ever commit would be to dishonor the name of God. The absolute worst. And this is kind of hard for us to, to appreciate, to get our minds around and and yet we, we need to understand its premise. So I want, I want us to work on our own human values just for a moment to, to begin to understand why the Bible is so harsh over this one. What's the worst crime? You could imagine another human being committed against you or, or any human being committing against any other human being. What's the absolute worst thing you can think of that could possibly be done that was wrong? For me, it's the slow torture and murder of a child. It's despicable. It's vile. It's monstrous. It's awful. I mean, there aren't enough adjectives and expletives to, to even begin to, to do it justice. And, and frankly, I can't think of any punishment that really does justice to that kind of misdeed. Why? Is that so bad? For the Christian, for the Jew for that matter, the reason why that's so bad 
is it because that child is so precious? Now stay with me. And the reason that child is so precious is because that child is made in the image of a precious God, a God who is infinitely worthy and precious. The value of that child is predicated on the value of the God who made her. A God, again, who is infinitely more precious. Take away God, and there is no longer any reason to consider one thing more evil than another. God's infinite, absolute worth is the guarantee, the protection of that child's worth. And take away God, and there's, there's no objective reason to believe that torturing and murdering a child is any worse than squashing a bug. Take away God. And Nietzsche was right. Everything is permitted. Are you still with me? That is the premise behind the Bible's horror and condemnation of blasphemy. Literally everything that is good and true and beautiful is up for grabs. If the one who made everything that is true and beautiful and good, if the one who is everything that is true and beautiful and good is dishonored, is brought down, is besmirched, is disregarded. This is hard for us, I know. Some years ago, I initiated a spiritual discipline in my life. But I know it's hard for me. But I began at the advice of a very wise person to associate everything I know to be true and good and beautiful with God. Now, it's not that God needs that to build up his reputation. Well, he does with me sometimes, I'm afraid. But I just, it's just part of what I do now. It's just one of my disciplines. When I, when I look at something or someone that I think is lovely and wonderful, I say, oh, that, God made that. God, God's like that a little bit. It's like the children in Narnia at the, the last battle. When they finally get to heaven and they, they see heaven, they realize that heaven looks like the world they came from, only better. And they realize the reason why we love the world we came from is because it looked a little bit like this. So, in the last 24 hours, I had a huge breakfast yesterday morning. I'd been up a long time and I was really hungry and my best girl and I went and got breakfast together. Two eggs, five pieces of bacon, hash browns, biscuits and gravy. The reason I love it so much is because God, okay, God's a little bit like that. <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come, all you who are hungry and thirsty. Hey, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's just Latin, but I'm serious about this. He made those things. Well, you see, he didn't make gravy. That came from, the, from sin. <laughs> uh, you vegetarians, no, come on, this is, uh, this is, this, this, 
If, if, if I were Peter today and I was on the rooftop, you know, in the book of Acts and the God were lowering down all the unclean foods and I see biscuits and gravy there, he'd say, take and eat, it's good. That's not my point. My point is, I look out my back window at my home and I see the mountains. I feel the ocean breeze and I think, his justice is like those mountains. His his spirit is like that breeze. I, I sat at the dinner table last night for an hour after dinner and just sat and talked to my family. And the reason that's so good is because Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hear my voice and come in, I will sup with them. Everything that's good in this life, everything that's true and beautiful is that way because God is. And to bring God down... is ultimately to bring it down too. If the worst thing in the Bible is to dishonor God, conversely, the best thing a human being can ever do is to honor Him. For two big reasons. Number one, it's only right. <laughs> it's only right. Let's just skip through the scriptures a bit here. The Bible says all wisdom begins with God and honoring Him, respecting Him. Well, actually the word is all wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, why does the Bible say fear? Well, I think it says fear because, well, it means awe, it means reverence, but mainly it says let your respect for God, let your sense of His worth be to you as intense as terror would be. It, it just focuses your mind. And, and the Bible says if you don't get that one down, you won't get, you won't get on in life. And again, I think the reason is pretty obvious. If we can't get clear about what's most obvious about the world, that God who made it deserves our ultimate respect, then how on earth will we ever figure anything else out? So the Bible says wisdom starts with that. T.S. Eliot wrote this in the 30s, but it still fits. He said, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge and the knowledge we have lost in information? The modern university is a place where there's lots of information and perhaps lots of knowledge but no wisdom. And that is the mission of a Christian college. All wisdom begins with the fear of God. All love belongs to God. Jesus said the greatest law, the greatest obedience, the greatest act of worship is to simply love God with your whole being, mind, body, and soul. Yes, the one we're to fear is also the one we are to love. All prayer begins with this. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be hallowed. It all starts there.
All history is consummated in him. All people will acknowledge him one day. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. All eternity will celebrate him. In our text, Paul has just looked at all the big questions of life, and he finally just has to sort of lay his pen down, I suppose, and, and dictate the rest. He says something like, My heavens, oh, the depth of the, of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And then, then Paul asks these the rhetorical questions, and of course, the answer to every one of them is, No, it's ludicrous. I mean, who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? He is the source, he is the sustainer. He is the goal from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. So why is it so good to honor God? It's the right thing to do. But there's a second big reason. It's our highest good. It is our highest good. I'm going to try to paint a picture now. I love the picture. hope I can pull it off. So just kind of visualize this. We'll start in, uh, in Athens. First century, the Apostle Paul is there on his preaching tour. He's on Mars Hill, the Areopagus. He's the place where the philosophers gather. The story's in Acts chapter 17. And, and I always get a kick out of this story because Luke who's recording it, uh, just makes this comment. He says, in effect, says, you should know now that, it, that all the philosophers and, and indeed all the people who visit Athens, their, their sole preoccupation is to discuss the latest ideas. What a group. That's the, that, they just live to talk about ideas. And so we're told as Paul comes into this, this great cosmopolitan city and he walks up to the place where all the ideas are being discussed because he wants, he's got an idea he wants them to discuss. He is grieved at all the idols he sees, all these gods. Now, now for the pagan, there was a god for every place and there was a place for every god. I mean, there was all this, this multiplicity of gods because, because every god had certain functions. Every god belonged to certain spaces and certain activities. And so you had to have a lot of gods because life was complex and, and we needed a god for all these complex things. And so he's walking through, he sees all these gods, this multiplicity of gods, as he goes up on top of the hill to hear all these ideas. And to throw his in. And on his way up, he sees this one, this one altar to, to an unknown God, which they're just trying to cover their bases. And so he goes up and he preaches to them. Now, this is beautiful. He says, now look, I, I'm here to tell you about the God you, you missed. The unknown God. He cannot be worshipped as an idol. He, no, he made everything. In fact, you have nothing you can give him even. And you certainly can't make him. And he's very near in this great line. In him, we live and move and have our very existence. That's so cool. Now, Paul's doing two things here. He's saying, you're so involved and and discussing ideas and trying to, out of your dialogue, to find the truth about the, you know, the, and all this stuff. And you're, you're so preoccupied with this. And, and you see it as such a, an arduous journey, and there's a sense in which it is. But he said, look, I want you to know you are in him already. And the second thing Paul does is even more brilliant. 
You see, you've got all these gods for all these places. The God I'm here to tell you about has no place because all places are in Him. I'm quoting now a Catholic monk that I greatly admire, William McNamara. He says, We think we are being very religious and marvelously renewed when we find a place for God in our world. But God has no place in our world. He is the place of the world. We fit our world into Him and His kingdom, not vice versa. God does not fit. So, my friends, if we've been trying to find a way to get a balanced life and get the spiritual right here and then you know, the intellectual over here and the physical over here and have got His proper place along with all the other things, we've missed it. All these other things are in Him. Like Emily in Thornton Wilder's play, Our Town. She would put her address on all of her school books this way. Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, United States, Western Hemisphere, Planet Earth, Solar System, Milky Way Galaxy, Universe. Are you getting chills yet? Mind of God. Listen. On the books, my address is 1318 Trieste Lane, Carpinteria, California. But my real address is that one, and so is yours. Okay, I'm just about ready to paint the picture. We are in God like a baby in a womb is in the world. Now, stay with me on this. If the baby had consciousness and could think about such things, the baby might not believe in the world. Or the baby might say, well, there probably is a world, but it's so far, it's so distant, it's so outside of me, it just doesn't matter. But when born, the baby would look around and realize that all along, all along, he was in something big. Now, here's the critical question, and here's where the analogy breaks down. What if a baby decided not to be born? What would happen? Well, the baby would die and maybe take the mother along with it. And to become a Christian, and to be a Christian, to give God the honor that is His due is really, it's really simply to be born, to wake up and look around and notice, capital N, where you are and wonder what's required from where you are. Offer yourself body, mind, and soul to the one in whom 
you've been living and moving and having your existence. To refuse that is to die. College is serious business, especially the business that a Christian college is, carries on, because it's, it's about wisdom with the knowledge and the information. And chapel, chapel is a place where, where if nothing else happens, we, we are reminded again of why we go to class and why we crack a book open, why we write a paper, why we ask hard questions, why we receive tough questions. It's, it's just about waking up. And honoring the God in whose being you have a mind, you have a body. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to Him. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. It's about this big. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It's good, pleasing and perfect will. Wake up. Look around. And honor God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we extol your name. Lord, we bless you for all the blessings of this life, for our creation, for our preservation, for the gift of our youth and our intellects and this place called Westmont College. We bless you for that. We pray, Lord, that you'd open the eyes of our heart and give us a vision of the greatness of our calling. that everything we do, every thought we think, would be done in you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.